We are rapidly approaching a time of the year that some people love, but that some people hate. In just a few weeks, thousands of students and teachers and administrators are going to head back to school. And when that happens, the student's schedule is going to be different. The schedule of the parent is going to be different. And really, the whole family dynamic changes once school starts. And as a teaching team, we felt that it was appropriate for us to take a couple weekends this month and talk about the next generation. Specifically talk about the priority that you and I have to make an investment into the next generation. So this weekend, we're starting a two-part series called Family Matters, the priority of investing in the next generation. And I'm going to kick it off this weekend, and Pastor Tom's going to come and conclude it next weekend, but we're going to talk about the next generation. And to start us out this morning, I want to do a little exercise. I want to put a date up on the screen today, and the date is 2061 AD. Now, I know that's a couple generations in the future, but here's what I want you to think about. I want to think about this date from a couple angles. That is 50 years from today. For you, how old will you be in 2061? Some people are thinking old. Some people are thinking really old. Other people are just going to flat say, I will be in heaven by that point. I will be 78 years old. Wow, is right. In 2061. There's some things we know about that date, but there's also some things we don't know. One of the things we do know is that you and I are not going to be doing the same things we're currently doing 50 years from now. We're not going to be involved in the same things that we're involved in. You're not going to have the same job that you do right now. I will not be the teaching pastor at Hope Baptist Church in 2061. Pastor Vance is not going to be the senior pastor in 2061. Teddy's not going to be here. Jay's not going to be here. Tom's not going to be here. Which begs a very serious question. If you're not going to be doing what you're currently doing in 50 years... And I'm not going to be doing what I'm currently doing in 50 years. Who is? Who are going to be the people that are wrestling over the scriptures all week to to try to teach the Bible in the city of Las Vegas? Who are those people going to be? Who are going to be the people that are immersed in our society seeking to be salt and light in a lost city? Who are going to be the Andy and Amy Milligans in the summer of 2061 who are going to be launched out of this church to go to the ends of the earth for the sake of the gospel? Who are the people that are going to be teaching in schools and working in hospitals and seeking to shape our city around a biblical perspective? Who are those people going to be? If it's not going to be us, it's going to be the generations to follow, which Therein lies a very important reason why you and I need to make investing in the next generation a serious priority today. God has established two primary entities to have influence in the world. The family and the church. 
And one of the things that we want to wrestle with in this series is what does the relationship between the family and the church look like? Because we believe at Hope that contrary to popular belief that those two entities should not function independently, but that they should function interdependently. Take the family, for example. A parent, a mom, a dad, a guardian, and their child. Did you know studies have shown that 80% of parents would raise their hand and say, I believe I am the primary person responsible for the spiritual and moral development of my family. 80%, 8 out of 10, that's pretty good, would say, hey, the buck stops here. I'm responsible for the spiritual and moral development of my child and my family. But did you know that out of the next breath, those same parents are saying, even though I'm responsible, I don't know what to do. I need some help. I'm not a professional at this showing us that, listen, the family needs some support. The family needs a voice speaking into them, giving them direction. Let me ask you this this morning. Who has been uniquely positioned to come alongside and support the family as they seek to invest in the next generation? Is it the government? Has the government been uniquely positioned to come alongside and support the family as they seek to invest in the next generation? Absolutely not. Is it the self-help experts? Have they been uniquely positioned and established to come alongside and support families as they seek to invest in the next generation? Absolutely not. Is it the school system? No. It's the church. God has uniquely established and positioned the community of faith, the body of Christ, to come alongside families and support them and champion them on as they seek to invest into the next generation. You could say it this way. Every child needs a family. And every family they need a church. They do. They don't need a worship service. They don't just need a staff member. They need a family of faith to come around them and support them as they seek to invest into the next generation. And I believe that most families, most parents, they want to get this right. They desire for their children joy and success and memories. I mean, no parent in their right mind walks out of the hospital looking at their child and says, I hope I ruin your life. <laughs> no parent says that. And here's the deal. I believe that us as a church, I believe Hope Baptist Church wants to get this right. I believe we honestly care about the next generation. We want to get this right, but here's the breakdown. Even though all of this church, I believe, wants to get this right and we care about the next generation, we do not see investing in the next generation as mission critical. But guess what? It is. It's absolutely mission critical. And what we want to do through this series is help us all understand just how mission critical it is for the family and the church to be passionate about the next generation and what it looks like for us to work together. And as we wrestled through how we were going to frame this series, there were a couple of defining statements that we want to get out on the table and get out in the open during this series so that all of us can wrestle with them. So I want to give you these two defining statements, and then we're going to unpack a text of Scripture. 
this morning. So here's the first statement that I want us to wrestle with. You're going to hear it this weekend, and you're also going to hear it next weekend. Here's the first one. The greatest window of opportunity to reach the next generation is shrinking every day. The greatest window, the biggest window of opportunity to reach the next generation, to see them follow Christ, is getting smaller every day. Here's what I mean by that. Studies have shown that the likelihood of a person coming into a relationship with God changes based on their age. Now, you and I know that God can do anything and he can save anybody. He can save a child just like he can save a 90-year-old person on their deathbed. But as people move through ages and stages of life, the likelihood of them responding to the gospel goes up or down based on their age. For example... Did you know studies have shown us that one out of every 24 adults who hear the gospel will respond by following Christ? One out of every 24. Take that over to the context of a teenager. Did you know that studies have shown us that one out of every 26 teenagers who hear the gospel will respond? By choosing to follow Christ. But you take that over to the life of a child. A child ages 5 to 12. Did you know that studies have shown. One out of every three children. Who hear the gospel. Will respond by choosing to follow Jesus. You know what that is? That's a window of opportunity. That's a big opportunity if 33% of children who hear a clear presentation of the gospel will respond by choosing to follow Jesus. That needs to be taken advantage of. That is a window of opportunity, but every day that window of opportunity is getting smaller. We only have a brief time that we can get children the gospel. Here's a second defining statement that we've really wrestled with. God has entrusted us with the responsibility of reaching the next generation. God has entrusted us as the family and as the church with the responsibility of getting the next generation the gospel. In essence, God has said, look, there's a lot of groups I could entrust this to. It's a huge opportunity, but I'm choosing to entrust it to the family And to the church. I'm going to entrust them with these children that are moldable. That are teachable. That are looking for someone to show them what in the world is this thing called life supposed to look like. We get the chance to shape their values. To shape their perspective. To shape their habits. To shape their skills. All of those things are passed down from one generation to another. And we have the opportunity to do it. I'll tell you one of my biggest fears. Honestly, it scares me to death. To think that you and I in this generation, at this time in the life of our church, could experience all that we're experiencing. 
And we're engaging nations and we're sending people and we're hearing more and more stories every day. We're planting churches all over the United States of America. We're serving this city. We're loving our city. We're seeing people come to Christ, be baptized, join this church. We get to experience all this of God's favor during this generation. But our children and our children's children don't. Because we never taught them what it means to walk with Jesus. That scares me. I hope that scares you. God has entrusted that responsibility to us. He's given us that privilege of reaching, investing into the next generation. But the window of opportunity is small. Let me give you a clarifying statement. God's primary instrument for reaching the next generation is the family and God's primary support for the family is the church this mission of reaching the next generation it isn't just for them it isn't just for the parents or those who have children no it's for all of us We each have a role to play in reaching the next generation. And I believe that that role, how we are fulfilling that role, should be priority A for both the family and for the church. God has entrusted us with that responsibility because no one has the potential to impact a child like their family. And no one has the potential to impact a family like the church. And we wrestled with those statements and they were convicting for us to a point that we felt like it's appropriate for all of us to wrestle with it for this weekend and next weekend. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at a passage of scripture in the gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture from the life of Jesus that shows us exactly how he viewed and how he treated The next generation. In just a moment, I'm going to start reading in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And this is a story and account from Mark that we also have from Luke and from Matthew. But this morning, we're going to examine Mark's account of this story. And what's been going on is Jesus has been in a conversation with some religious leaders. He's been in a conversation with some of the Pharisees about divorce. And it's a pretty intense conversation. They're asking him questions. He's replying. They're coming at him from different angles, and he has a response for it. They've been wrestling through this issue of divorce. And there's nothing in the text that indicates that that conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees was over. But Mark chooses to pick up in verse 13 and share something different. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we're going to put this on the screen. But let's read together Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, meaning Jesus, so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms 
and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. So you hear this story, this account from Mark. Jesus is in a discussion with some religious leaders about divorce. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that some fathers, some mothers, some older children were bringing children to Jesus. Now, we believe that these children ranged from babies to preteens. And this was customary in this culture. Many parents would bring their children to a rabbi to have that rabbi pray over their children. The rabbi would pray for God's favor, for their marriage, for their faith, for their future. So that's what's happening. And this isn't just a few families. The Bible indicates that it was many, many families that were wanting to have Jesus pray a prayer of blessing over their children. And you can imagine the disciples, as they're kind of standing watch for Jesus, they see all of these families coming. And in essence, the disciples say, hey guys, we got a problem we need to deal with. And the Bible says they go and they kind of cut off these parents and their children and say, whoa, you need to stop what you're doing. And the Bible says they passionately told them to go away and stay away. That word rebuked that the text shares is to warn someone and threaten them. So it was very serious. And Jesus sees what's going on. You've got to imagine Jesus about 10 or 15 yards away. And he's in this discussion and he looks over and he sees what the disciples are doing. The Bible says he immediately stands up and he goes to where they are. The Bible uses the word indignant, which means to be irate. It means to be embarrassed and to feel pain because of the action of another. That's what Jesus was feeling. And he makes his way over to the disciples and he says, listen, you guys need to stop. He says this beautiful line. He says, permit the kids to come to me. In essence, telling the disciples, listen, you need to help children get to me. You need to allow them to come to where I am. And then he says, listen, permit them. Don't hinder them. Meaning, don't be a roadblock. Don't be a stumbling block. Stop the action of hindering children from getting to me. You're to help them, not to hinder them. And Jesus uses there a time to be teachable, to share with his disciples a principle. He says this. He says, because the kingdom of God, it's for people like this. It's for people who have childlike characteristics, meaning no one represents kingdom living better than what these children are doing and what they represent. And I think in this text, there are two realities that we see right out of Jesus' life that I want to I unpack this morning. And, and really, they're challenging. They really are. But I, wanna, I want us to navigate through them this morning. Here's the first reality that I think we see right here in this passage. First of all, the investment I make in the next generation is extremely significant. The investment that you and I make into the next generation is extremely significant. In this story, for all intents and purposes, Jesus was busy. I mean, he's in a conversation with the religious leaders who later on would be the very people who crucified him on the cross. I mean, he's in a pretty intense conversation. And to put another level on that, he is at the end of his ministry on earth, not at the beginning. Meaning in chapter 15 of Mark, Jesus is going to be crucified. So you know that the shadow of the cross is already on his mind at this moment. But here's what he says. He says, even though all that's going on, my investment 
into the next generation is more important than what I'm doing. Jesus shows us a sign of significance by going over, stopping what he's doing, and making an investment into the next generation. And here's the deal. For you and I, when we invest into children, when we invest into into students, we're not wasting our time. We're not just entertaining them. It is a significant investment, the one that we make into the next generation. Jesus was passionate about it, and Jesus calls his church to be passionate about investing in the next generation. Here's what I believe. I believe every person in the room right now has something to offer the next generation. Every one of us. Maybe for you, what you have to offer right now is time. And you say, you know what? I can take some kids to the movies. I can take them to a ball game. I can take them out for ice cream. I can take them to the library. Listen, that's significant. That's not a small thing. If you can invest time, invest time. For others of us, we can invest wisdom. There's some things that God has done in and through you, and you know that you can invest that into the next generation. Listen, that's significant. That's not a small thing. For some of us, we can invest resources. We can help a kid get to school. We can help them establish a library. We can purchase things and just bless them. Listen, that is significant. I believe God calls his church, whatever you have in your walk with him, pass that on to the next generation. Here's the problem with that, though. When we invest in the next generation, we don't see immediate results. And that's hard. We love to invest in stuff that we will see results from immediately. One of my favorite things to do is to mow the yard. Here's why. Because I know I'm going to get out in the sun and I'm going to start mowing the yard. But here's what I know. In 15 or 20 minutes when I get done, I'm going to be able to look back and be like, yep, there's the fruit of my labor. But here's the deal. It's not like that with the next generation. Sometimes you have to wait years and years and years and years before you see fruit from what you're doing. But listen, you got to understand, whatever it is, whether you see fruit in your lifetime or not, it is significant. What we invest in the next generation. Look at this life-changing reality. God's activity in this generation is so the next generation may know him. You see, what God's doing in you right now, yeah, it's great that you're experiencing intimacy with him, and it's great that we can leverage that to touch nations this year, but guess what? He's also doing that in you so that you can pass it on to the next generation. It's not just for you. It's always bigger than you, but here's the deal. The window for us to make this investment is small. We have a great opportunity while they are young to do it. And we have to take advantage of that. And for a lot of people, they'll say, well, Travis, you got to understand, children and students, you know, they're not really my thing. I'm not, you know, they're loud and they smell and they're immature and I just don't get along with them. I want to tell you something. And I don't say this to make you feel guilty, but I do say this to challenge you. I would imagine when Jesus looked down on humanity and his sovereignty, there was probably some thoughts like, they're immature, they smell, (laughs) they think they know it all, and the list goes on and on. But here's what he said. 
He said, but I have to go to where they are. Because I have to show them the way. Listen, the next generation, even though they smell and they're immature and annoying sometimes, they need us to show us the way. They need us as this generation to invest in them the principles of Scripture, the the ways that they can walk with God so that they can know the way. That's extremely significant. And listen, we're the church. If the church can't step up and get dirty to make an investment in the next generation, who can? And shame on us. Shame on me as, as a part of the church if, if gangs and Mormons and other groups that meet in our city are doing a better job at raising up followers than we are when the one we're following is King Jesus. That's a big deal. Our investment in the next generation is extremely, extremely significant. But here's what we do. We have a hard time constantly valuing those things that are always in front of us. Sometimes we like to sparkle in new stuff. And if we're transitioning all the time, it's easy to get excited. But sometimes those precious children who are beside us and around this campus every weekend, we have a hard time valuing them. But Jesus says, you need to. And I believe as a church, we should have people that are bombarding the door to serve in some capacity in our environments. Not because the environments are so amazing, but because it's an opportunity. It's a window that we have to invest in the next generation. But here's why we don't. It's not because you don't care. I know you care. We just don't see it as mission critical. And we need God to change our heart. We need God to birth in us a passion that says, you know what? Every moment I have, especially between the ages of 5 and 12, is an opportunity. It's a window to shape them like it's never going to be there for the rest of their life. And we as a church want to take advantage of it. The investment that we make in the next generation is extremely significant. Look at this verse from Psalm 78. For he issued his laws to Jacob... He gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach them to their their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. That's straight out of the scriptures. There's coming a day when we're not going to be here anymore. We're not going to be here to share the gospel or to make the decisions or to be salt and light in our city, but our children are, and our children's children are. And we have a chance now to make a significant investment into them. One of the hardest things for me in ministry, there's a lot of hard things. But one of the hard things is helping people see, and I, and I don't totally get this yet. I'm, I'm still learning. But to help people see that everything we do locally, even though it may be very, very small, somehow connects to the big picture of God's activity. 
We, don't, we, we tell our staff that all the time. Listen, when you're returning an email or you're sending a letter or you're answering the phone or you're having a conversation with someone and that may seem to you to be very insignificant, listen, it's significant because somehow, some way, everything we do locally is connected to God's activity globally. And listen, as you invest into kids and you change a diaper or you lead a small group or you bless a child or you just love a child, listen, that may seem insignificant to you, but according to Jesus, that is very significant. And you have to believe the principle that everything we do locally is connected somehow, even though we may not understand it, to God's activity around the world. The investment we make in the next generation is extremely significant. Here's another reality that we see here from Jesus. The best picture of kingdom living is seen through the life of a child. Look back at verses 14 and 15. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That means this class, this category, this group. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Jesus shares something there that's very significant. You see, these disciples are looking at the kids thinking they have nothing to offer. They can't work, they can't serve, they can't do anything. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not telling people to become like you. I'm telling people to become like a child. And here's the deal. Just like there's some things that we can learn from the next, that the next generation can learn from us, there's also some things we can learn from the next generation. Jesus says, childlike faith is so precious and must be cherished. I want to give you a couple of characteristics of children. First one. Children are dependent on others. Children are dependent on others. They can't do anything on their own. They rely on their parent for everything. But not adults. Adults want to be independent. We want to do it on our own. And Jesus says, if you compare a child to an adult in the area of dependence, listen, you need to be like a child and you need to live in absolute dependence on your heavenly father. Another characteristic of a child is simplicity. Kids are simple. They are entertained by the simplest, smallest things. But not adults. We complicate everything. Even in this story with the disciples. You know, one of the reasons they didn't want the children to get to Jesus is because they felt like those kids couldn't do anything to earn God's favor. They were complicating the gospel. And our tendency just in life as adults is to complicate things. And Jesus says, if you're comparing the simplicity of a child and an adult, you need to be like a child. It's simple. Another characteristic of a child is that a child is teachable. They're teachable. They're moldable. If you tell a child that the sky is purple, guess what? They believe the sky is purple. They're moldable. They want to be shaped. They want someone to show them what does this look like. But adults are different. We think we got it all figured out. We don't want help. That hurts our ego. 
We don't want people helping us. We think we can do it. And Jesus says, if you're to talk about being moldable and you look at a child and an adult, I want you to be like a child. I want you to stay moldable, stay hungry and teachable in my kingdom. And lastly, a child is humble. They demonstrate humility. In most cases, child, a, a child doesn't want the attention. In most cases, when you take a child to meet somebody new, they don't even want to look at them. They're scared. But adults are different. We want all eyes on us. And Jesus says, if you're comparing a child and an adult, and you've got to make a decision about who you're going to be like, be like a child and be humble. Don't be desiring all the attention. He says, my kingdom is to be handled like a child would handle it. And adults, we need to have childlike faith and demonstrate these characteristics. Because here's the deal. When we drift, drift from these characteristics, that's when we become a hindrance for the gospel. When we forget that we've been born into a kingdom that requires us to have childlike faith and we start overcomplicating things and depending on ourselves and thinking that we've got it figured out and we become arrogant, listen, that's when we become a hindrance, a stumbling block in helping people get to Jesus. We become a hindrance. And all of us this morning can relate with when that's happened. Jesus lays out for us here a clear picture. 50 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is a person's relationship with God. And here's what we have. We have a window. A window of opportunity to get the next generation the gospel. To help them discover who Jesus is. To help them realize that it's not about them. That it's all about him. And that they can experience life through an intimate love relationship with God. We've been entrusted with that responsibility. But the window's shrinking every day. And I pray that we would use our resources. We would use our time. We would use our wisdom. Leveraging all of those things to help impact the next generation. And the generations to come for the sake of the gospel. Here's the bottom line for us. One of our highest priorities as a church must be to pass on to the coming generations what God has done in and through us. That they might know the glory of God and understand his greatness. That's the bottom line this morning. And that looks different for all of us. Some here are parents, some are older, some are single. But all of us must make a priority to invest into the coming generations. I want to ask you a couple questions just to kind of process this. Here's the first one. Am I taking the opportunity I have to shape the next generation seriously? Are you taking serious this chance, this, this privilege you have to invest in the next generation? Is it just something that's, that you're doing and you're you know, doing the best you can, but you're really not thinking about it, you're really not intentional? Are you at a place where you're thinking, I'm too busy? Another question. At my stage of life, what is the most effective way to invest in the next generation? Where you're living right now, what's the most effective? For parents, that's obvious. 
For some other people in the room, you might need to think about that. But for you, you have something to offer. That's not in question. But what is the most effective way that you can pass on what God is and has done in you to the generations to come? What does that look like? Maybe for some of us, it's adoption. Maybe for some of us, it's fostering. Maybe for some of us, it's serving here at this church. For some of us, you need to connect in ministries here that are going to preach in youth detentional prisons and serving the underserved here in our city that are students, our children. Maybe for you, it's praying. And you need to become intentional about praying for the next generation. And that's the best way that you can make the investment. All of us this morning have some way that we can. The question is, what is it? I am who I am today. And I dare say you are who you are today. Because someone chose to invest in you. How are you applying the principle that you probably learned long ago into your life today? And taking serious the opportunity you have to invest in the next generation.